Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. The Late Lunch with Blackstone Motors. Get low-as-can-be APR, zero deposit required, and finance arranged within four hours with all 192 pre-ordered Renaults. What are you waiting for? There's never been a better time to visit Blackstone Motors, Dundalk, Drogheda or Cavan. Good afternoon and you're very welcome to Late Lunch this afternoon. Just slightly early today, it's Joan Larkin here sitting in for Jerry all of this week. The number to text or WhatsApp us is 086-1800-658. Now, to start us off today, a new documentary will air tonight on RTE1 television straight after the news and weather and it's called Divorcing God. Its presenter is none other than Oliver Callan, the well-known comedian, political satirist, and he joins me now on the line. How are you, Oliver? Good afternoon to you, Joan. Well, it's a long time. No speak between yourself and myself, Oliver. We go back many, many years. We were on a radio station together once upon a time, Joan, and we were the cheeky ones in the newsroom, if I recall. Absolutely. When when you were in short trousers, I think, and I had little ankle <laughs> socks. That would have been about well, I'm then. a small man, so my trousers are always short. <laughs> Oliver, thanks a million for chatting to us about this documentary tonight. Um, Divorcing God, what prompted you to do this? <laughs> That's a good question, which I probably won't be able to answer. But I suppose uh, it kind of started last year when Orti asked me to to uh, join their their panel of pundits at the Croke Park concert that the Pope, I suppose, was the host of. Or it was the concert for the Pope in Croke Park, and I suppose I, I couldn't resist the the urge to sit in that Sunday game studio and uh, uh, be the Joe Brown pundit. And I was kind of worried that they were going to yeah, to be the contrarian, that maybe they because they had people who were very pro-Catholic, like Francis Brennan and Nora Casey that they were trying to get me to come on. And I, I just told them, look, I'm not interested. There's, there's plenty of people out there who will bash the church at the minute. And uh, I, I just felt, uh, I, I just let them know that I think there's kind of, there are issues with our relationship with religion and uh, that it's not quite as cut and dry as just uh, attacking the church and attacking the Pope and all the people who are out to see him. So mm. it kind of started from there. And I, I guess we ended up making a documentary about Ireland's relationship with religion, their changing relationship, and also went on a bit of a, a personal trip uh, to discover out, discover, find out for myself what I actually believe in, <laughs> where I think the country should be going. So, you know, I think it's a, it's it's the beginning of a conversation yeah. rather than the end of one. Well, listen, the title of the documentary is the beginning of a conversation. Divorcing God. Where did you get that from? <laughs> uh, well, it's it's obviously a loaded term. Divorce being, you know, some of the sure referendums we've mm. had over the years more than once. And uh, it is the process of Ireland in terms of the state divorcing God, divorcing the representatives of God as they will see themselves, mm. the Catholic Church, the Vatican. And I think it's fair to say now we have, you know, successfully removed uh, Catholic Church control over the state's laws and over morals in society. 
And the next step is the discussion. Secularists, they want to change the name of uh, any hospitals now owned by the state that were set up by the religion, get rid of any religious references uh, in, in the names of schools, hospitals, any, I suppose, place and space that's uh, now run by the state. And, of course, the biggest one, which kind of started the conversation, was up there in, in Drada. In Drada, with the hospital. An attempt to, or a proposal to change the name of Our Lady of, of, Our Lady of Lord. I was born in it myself. But then, and cursed with loud on my passport. <laughs> oh my but goodness, then, wash your mouth out. But no, where no, does it end? Where does it end then, Oliver? You take away the names of the hospitals, then you, you have street names, and oh, like where would it end if that started? Yeah, and I mean, I, I made the point in, a, in a, a column I wrote at the weekend that when we got independence from Britain, we didn't necessarily, there was an attempt to dismantle, obviously, the British regime and to get rid of some of the place names, mm. like Sackville Street became O'Connell Street to honour the great liberator who freed the Catholic Church, as it turns out. Mm. And, you know, but we didn't get rid of them all. There's still a few Belgrave squares and there's Trafalgar yeah. Road and there's, you know, lots of, there's Brighton Avenue, lots of British names mm-hmm. for the place, even the Black Rocks. And I think there's at least three of them in the country. There's one in Cork, there's Dundalk, of course. And I think there's one out by, um, in, uh, in Athlone, if I'm not mistaken. So, you know, very British sounding names that came from that part of the world. And we did dismantle the whole thing. We didn't even change the post boxes. We just painted over the <laughs> Victoria Royal and GR. So I think <laughs> the same goes with the Catholic Church. And the reason is because if you have that amount of, domination by a particular force. It's going to change your identity. It's going to create a legacy. And there were good people who served the British Empire, who happened to be Irish and did good things. And that's probably a recognition in the same way that the Catholic Church how yeah. destructive a force as it was, and we've gone up and down the houses about that topic. There were lots of people who good did very people. good things. Mm. There were carers, there were educators, mm. and we don't want to throw the baby Jesus out with the bathwater. So, you know, leave well alone. Uh, I think, we've, you know, as a people decided to move on from church control of our laws and so mm. on, our constitution, and there's no need to kind of set fire to the corpse and stomp all over it again. <laughs> but you say then making this programme was a bit of a personal story for you. How, how so? Can you explain that to me? Yeah, well, I start out actually by going to Mass in, um, in Inneskeen there for the first time in 10 years. And, oh, what was that know, like? Well, you're kind of questioning, you know, why did I leave? What do I remember? I mean, it was very nostalgic for for starters. Was that would that, that be of, the the same church you were baptized in and communion and yes, the whole lot? Absolutely, yeah. Communion. I have all the pictures from inside the inside the church there, and it was a seventies church, so it was still quite new in the eighties when I was going in there to get christened and do the communion and all of that. So it was kind of one of those trendy churches with pebble dash on the inside and uh, <laughs> fancy fancy rafters, and it, it, we used to think of it as a spaceship because it kind of curved up from the outside. <laughs> Uh, uh, you know, experimental architecture. It looked like a shark fin sticking out of the land. But I mean, our association with the church was, you know, it was the local parish priest who was running tidy towns, who was setting up the Patrick Kavanagh Centre, who was doing all this amazing stuff, practically like the CEO of the village, running the school, running, setting up hurling clubs, all of these really good and decent things. And when I look back, he was doing a lot of that in the mid-90s when the church was really, you know, collapsing. That's when, And, and yet he just got on and did with it. And, and when we didn't associate what was going on in terms of the cover-up of abuse or the desperate things that were happening or the intransigence of the Vatican and the, you know, refusal to do the right thing. We never associated that with the kind of local... Our relationship with the church, I think, is always quite a local community thing. It's about the congregation rather than the hierarchy. Yeah, you think people just see it as their own local church is the church and their local community, that is the community of the, yeah. the Catholic community. But did you find a difference when you went to Mass there um, recently in Inneskeen? Were the numbers much smaller than when you were a child? Yeah. I wouldn't say much smaller, but they're certainly smaller. 
But I don't remember the church ever being packed constantly anyway. It would be packed for the big days, and it probably still is when there's communion and confirmation, yeah. and a wedding going on and things like mm. that. And that's kind of part of the uh, anomaly in Ireland where we kind of dismiss the church and say, that's all over, it's curtains. We're now a secular society, everyone's non-religious. But then you go and you realise that 92% of babies are being baptised still. You've got communions and confirmations of the milestones in people's lives, even though they may not darken the door of a church for a mass on Sunday during the year. And, uh, you know, it's still fashionable to have weddings and funerals in the Catholic Church. So it matters that that Catholic cultural tradition matters a lot more to us than we kind of tend to admit. And I discovered two big things making the documentary. One, we are a much more Catholic society than we give credit for. We do think that, you know... Really? Did you find that? I did. I mean, even if you just look at the basic numbers in the census and uh, other studies that have been done to see how many people go to Mass... We tend to focus on the huge fall-off. You know, there was 80% in 1990. Now it's down to 30%. You think, well, there, wow, what a collapse. It's all over. But then you go, wait, that's 30% of the population going to Mass every Sunday. That's, you know, the lots of one and a half million people. So flip it over and it looks a lot different from the other side. Yeah. And they're going every single week. So on top of that, you have... You know, the candle lighting Catholics who would go into a, a mass yeah. just as a thought for someone and they light a candle, uh, but they won't necessarily go to mass. But yeah. the, the, the kind of true test, I think, is whether you go weekly. And that's a million and a half people. And they're largely forgotten. People sort of tend to think that they don't exist or that they're an ageing, you know. That's what I was going to say. Do you think, are they the older generation that are still going weekly? Well, it's, it's actually quite a broad mix and it has levelled off. It's not a collapsing figure all the time. Mm. The crisis is in really vocations and, you know, the average age of priests in Ireland is 70. Mm. There's a real problem there. And, but there, if the church wants to keep its congregation, it's going to have to change because the congregation are a much more compassionate people. I certainly didn't feel judged going to Mass and I didn't feel under threat. Mm. Uh, but you can look at the Vatican doctrine and say, you know, they, they, they still have appalling views on women and on gay mm-hmm. people. And they're even issuing edicts this week on what our views should be on gender, you know. I oh, know, yeah. Did you, tell me this, when you travelled when, when you travelled all around the country, did you find attitudes from people, we'll say in Donegal, were different to people in Cork? Or are people the same the country over, did you find? Attitudes to the I, church and religion? Yeah, I think we are... I think there's both anger at the church uh, from both the congregation and people outside of it, but there's also kind of an acceptance that it is a historical thing. And, you know, the traditions go back, they predate the Catholic Church in ways. We have pagan rituals like Holy Wells, and I visit a Holy mm. Wells documentary. There is a kind of a, uh, people are still very religious. Uh, they mar- they're angry at the institutions of the church, but they still practice a, a spirituality of faith in, in a different way nowadays. And I suppose the question I set out with was, was there a connection between the fact that people spent 45 minutes a week in Mass, once upon a day, the vast majority of people, thinking about the bigger picture, even if they didn't listen to a word coming from the altar, or didn't believe any of it, they were still sitting there thinking about life, death, the meaning of life, where we all go, whether we get to meet. You know, they were thinking of the bigger picture. And when that had pulled away and hasn't been replaced by anything other than, you know, scrolling on your phones and mm. the, the validation of people are looking for material success as the key to life. There, there, there's been a swell of you know, mental health issues, and I was wondering, is there a correlation between the collapse of a, play, of a space where people just had to think once a week uh, and actually have problems uh, you know, in their own minds and as a result of it? And can we jump back a little bit to, you mentioned life and death. Can we talk about death for a minute, Oliver? Yeah. <laughs> Does it yeah, scare no, you, I, the thoughts of it? I was, I was writing the Irish song um, about death, and I am kind of, 
I wouldn't say obsessed, but I have kind of what I think is a mm. healthy uh, relationship with just death and, and, and thinking about it, because I think you do need to think about it every now and again to appreciate uh, what life is today. Well, we're none of us going to escape it. Yeah, we're not going to escape it. I mean, of course, I wouldn't say that I'm not afraid of it. I think I'm absolutely terrified of houses, and I think that's kind of the reason why it, it kind of reminds me to enjoy life as much as I can, mm-hmm. uh, so long as that's not at the expense of others. You know, someone might say, you can enjoy yourself um, with drive-by shootings or whatever. <laughs> but do you, do you believe in life after death, Oliver? Have you belief in that? Or what do you think happens? I would love to. I mean, it would make mm. it so easy if you could think, look, as much as things go wrong here or as hard as it is to let go of this life, surely there must be something wonderful at the end of it. I really wish I believed that and I'm envious of the people who do, but mm. I'm just not quite, not quite there. And maybe it, it could be a process of, if I'm lucky enough to live to be an old man, uh, that, you know, maybe that belief does come towards the end. But I've never been able to get there. Uh, mm. And... Um, and what about all these people that have documented near-death experiences and stuff? Are you sceptical about all that stuff? Yeah, well, I mean, it, it's... It the light at the end of the tunnel. Still, and yeah, it's still human memory, you know. It's still... It, human memory is absolutely fallible. Uh, and we are... Cap- the brain is an incredible, largely unexplored um, uh, organ in our heads. And it can conjure up almost anything to rescue the body. And if that includes lights at the end of a tunnel or the angels coming to meet you and telling you not yet go back then that's possibly you know part of the mm. process you know that, that might be over uh, excessive rationale yeah but, um, yeah I think there's always a scientific way of explaining things of explaining but, it yeah and some things mostly to do with the importance of faith yeah and, uh, and some and things just can't be explained and you can just put it down to someone's strong yeah. faith and I think and one, Rory McKiernan is in, is in the documentary he set up spunout.ie which was a mental health website for, for teenagers and he wonders, you know, are we doing a disservice to our young people by dismissing religious practice and the idea of spirituality uh, and the idea that it's, you know, we, we kind of tend to demonise people of faith. Mm. And if there's a young person who comes up to you and says, you know, they're a devout Catholic and they love going to Mass and they do love the Pope and they went to the Pope's Mass, there's a tendency to kind of think, oh, they're uncool and they're mm. one of those mad holy joes who probably beat themselves up in the Loch Derg. <laughs> I can't imagine a youngster coming up and admitting that, actually. Yeah, exactly, you know. I can't imagine they are, it. They're, are, they're out there. Uh, they must be. Making the programme, what did you take away from it? What's the main thing you took away from the experience yeah, of making the this documentary? The is that Catholicism is much stronger in Ireland than we in the media and society, maybe in general, and the fashionable, trendy people online like to think it is. And also, be, we're not as secular and we're not as non-religious as we think. You know, people like to point to... The, the, the atheism or non-religion is the fastest growing group that takes the census form but are still under 10% and we met a, a couple who raised their kids in the non-religious sense no christening no confirmation communion and so on uh, their, their kids are now 18 and they just said it was very very difficult and it was also quite lonely there were very very few people who had the courage of their convictions to say look I'm not going to baptise the kids because mm. we don't believe in it but we don't need we don't feel we need to raise them in a religious faith so they do good deeds and these two uh, girls grew up to be perfectly normal healthy women mm. volunteer who do good deeds who are friends with people who have uh, you know quite a strict Catholic faith even to the extent that they voted against repealing the eighth right and okay remain friends with them and mm. you don't you don't you know the, the moral compass can be there without religion uh, of course it can yeah to a young Catholic family who are also call themselves religious and they say well, we're not better than everybody else just because we go to mass but we do believe it makes us 
better people. And one last question before I let you go. Will you be going back to Mass regularly? I probably will just be one of those uh, candle-lighting people. I mean, I'm, I, I'm, we're from Monaghan. We have a kind of a, a old superstition to come back to pagan times there. And uh, you, you'll always find yourself um, you know, crossing yourself if you see an ambulance or waving yeah, at a magpie. Yeah. Yeah, I'm from Galway. We do the same thing. (laughs) And, uh, you know, the St. Bridget's Cross, almost kind of a just-in-case because it's actually just a nice ritual, if nothing else. Mm. And I think lighting a candle is one of those lovely gifts you can give to someone that's not a material thing. So you light one for me, will you, the next time? Yeah, I will. And I'll do the same for you. And we'll light one for the weather, hopefully, that we get a bit of a sun. Oh, please, God. Oliver, thanks a million for chatting to me today. The documentary's on tonight, RTE1 television at 9.35. Thanks a million. Thanks a million, Joe. Talk soon. Bye-bye. A late lunch with Blackstone Motors. Don't miss out on amazing 192 early bird offers at Blackstone Motors today for exclusive 192 offers on all things Renault and Dacia and the full Renault commercial van range. Get down to Blackstone Motors showrooms in Dundalk or Drogheda. And you're very welcome back to Late Lunch this afternoon. Don't forget you can text or WhatsApp us on 086 658. Now, my next guest is hoping to raise awareness of a rare condition called Angel Syndrome that his five-year-old son suffers from. Seamus Gorman is on the line to tell us more. How are you, Seamus? Uh, hello. Hi, Seamus. How are you? Can you hear me all right? Yeah, yeah, 100%. Yeah. Great. Seamus, so you live in Cross McGlen with your wife and, and your young son, Shane, who's That's, five. Is that right? Yeah. Can you tell me a little bit about Angel Syndrome and how it affects it's a, little it's Shane? Actually, Angel Man Syndrome. Angel Man Syndrome. Angel Man Syndrome, yeah. Um, it's, it's basically just a, a, a chromosome, a, a misplace of a chromosome 15 with Shane. And um, he's, what would you say, he's a lear- learning difficulties. He's, he's, he's no speech. Um, his swallowing was affected when he was a baby. Like, it was awful hard to feed him. Like, it would take you up to half an hour, 45 minutes to get a bottle into him and then you could be sitting with him for half an hour and he could throw it back up. You know, it's mm. all just to do with um, his low muscle tone and okay. it, it affects him all in different ways. Now, he's actually got a peg inserted and he's peg fed, which is a hundred times better. You know, we're getting the food into him now and he got a thing called a fun duplication done as well, which was a... Like What's a, that, Seamus? Like a, it was a, a, like a, t- a twist the top of the stomach a bit to not let the the food come back come up. back up okay you know? and it, it just it, it it's brilliant now in a way because like I haven't he had got that done round this time last year and touch wood now he hasn't got sick since you know he's he's had colds flus bits of bugs and that there but he actually hasn't physically thrown up okay. we are always worried in the back of our head you know is he getting enough nutrients is he getting yeah. enough into him you know now that he had that done at least he we, we know that he's getting it into him. So it's easier all round. It's easier on Shane, and it's easier on you guys. Without a doubt, without a doubt, yeah. Because like it was, we had to take, give him tick and feeds, and hmm. he had no grasp of 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 actually sucking and swallowing. So his his swallow was always affected. You know, you could never actually just can't fully feed him right without him coughing and doing a wee bit of retching and maybe throw the whole lot back up, and then yeah. worry then you start again. And but now he's 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 coming round now with this peg and and the fund application he's getting there yeah. and he's going to school now he's at school in Newry in a place called Rathore which is a brilliant school as well now they are 
really, really good. Like they're doing all physio and different bits and pieces with him, you know. And Seamus, I hadn't heard of it, and apologies for getting the name of it wrong. It's Angel Man Syndrome. Angel Man Syndrome, Presume yeah. you hadn't heard of it before Shane no, was diagnosed. No, I never, never heard of this before. Like it, it only affects maybe 350 to 400 people in the whole of Ireland. You know, like it's, it's very, 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 very small rare. number, yeah. Yeah, and that's why it was just more or less just to make awareness of it. And plus then with Angel Man, that group, like they do take us up to Dublin and different places, just organise days out. And it's nice to talk to different parents, you know, so, different parents that has children that's a wee bit older, just to get tips and advice. And, yeah, so you know, it's, it's, it's awful handy, you know, in a way that you can, and the Facebook group they yeah. set up between among themselves that if anything that does, you, 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 you just can't figure out, you can talk to each other and, and, and sort, you know. You, you yeah. Can, that's what I was going to ask you. Is is there some support group for for people for families? There is the, 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 their own sort of a private group in a way that that they can talk to each other and and and, and know you know they can put it up. Say uh, Shane is having see, he does suffer from seizures as well. You know, and, right? And there's different. It's just basically different tips and advice and and as I say, it's it's great just to get a wee break away as well. You know, we just well, it's only up to Dublin Zoo or maybe somewhere else. You know, that kind of way, yes. park or anywhere like that there, which is brilliant. Like, and Seamus, what is the story with this um, with this illness? Then is it life limiting or or I mean, what's no, the life no, expectancy no, for people it, with this? Can they live no, happily late in life? Oh yeah, happily for full life. Like like to Shane, Shane is always smiling and laughing and see, years and years ago they used to call it happy puppet syndrome yes they used to call it happy puppet syndrome because literally you could actually nip Shane and he'd still he'd laugh still smile. You know, like, and that's it, it is in a way you don't know that he's sore do you know that kind of way yeah he could be he, he could be in pain but he's laughing do you know that kind of way and smiling yeah. so, and he is a happy little fella though in oh, general always always smiling and always happy and he's five years of age. He's five years of age. Like it's, it's very, very rarely that you'd actually hear him crying. It's more or less he's always smiling and, and happy. And you know that's sort of a demeanor. That's why you say they used to call it ha- uh, happy puppet syndrome. But now they've, it was Harry Angelman that found this out and, and actually changed changed the name for to Angelman syndrome. It was named after a man called Harry Angelman. Oh right. And Seamus, do you have other children? I do. Yes, I have a wee girl, Selena. She's nineteen months. Oh right. And how does she get along with him? Oh, well, she calls him the baby. Like She's up oh. walking now and she just say, oh, that's the baby. And, you know, but listen, she gets on with him brilliant, you know, she's always over with him and, and playing with him and different things, you know. Yeah. And then if he's the dummy, she's over trying to take it off and vice versa. You know, like he, he still has, he knows, like you'd say to yourself, he knows himself. He was here before, you know, that kind of way. He he's knows. like an old soul, is he? <laughs> You wouldn't, you wouldn't just trick him too handy now, you know. <laughs> <laughs> so, Seamus, this weekend, Saturday night, you're holding a fundraiser. Do you want to tell us a bit about that? Yeah, we're holding a fundraiser down here in the in the local club in Neave Maliki Football Club, and um, the that's just open. outside Dundalk. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, the doors will open at uh, nine o'clock, and Mick Flavin's coming to sing at it, and uh, it'll be ten euros at the door. But anybody who wants to give donations. Uh, Whatever, you know, it, it doesn't, doesn't have to be stopped at a ten or as a, as a, as a person says mm. anything at all, or even anybody that doesn't want to go, they can arrange some way of getting the few pound towards over towards me or anything like that. You know what I mean? Okay, so it's at Nave Malachy's just outside Dundalk Saturday evening. Doors yeah. open at nine o'clock, and and the money will all go to um, the all funds all will go for age, age raising awareness. Raising oh. awareness of it, and plus, then see, they they sometimes they do they'll send if they gather up so much money, they send it to research as well. Like they they'll, yeah. they'll send over some so 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 much to research. Of course, yeah. You know, like it's a, it's a, it's all 
to do as I say it's all chromosomes and that they yeah. are and it's, it's trying to get the research into that now as yeah. well trying to find out more about it and trying more to combat it, it and, in the future yeah. yeah Seamus thanks a million best wishes to you to little Shane and to the rest of the family that, thanks I, a million I just wanted to thank everybody so far that has donated and hopefully the money keeps coming in and I just said thanks very much yeah. to everybody so if you far. can at all get up there to Nave Malachy's outside Dundalk yeah. this Saturday night Please, and, yeah, and throw a few bob into it thanks a million Seamus thank you very much thank you very much time for a bit of music now take us up to news here's Green Day The Late Lunch with Blackstone Motors get low as can be APR zero deposit required and finance arranged within four hours with all 192 pre-ordered Renaults what are you waiting for? there's never been a better time to visit Blackstone Motors Dundalk, Drogheda or Cavan and you're very welcome back to Late Lunch this afternoon. Don't forget you can text or WhatsApp us on 0861800658. Now, my next guest is a lady I've been really looking forward to speaking to. Rosita Boland is the well-known author and, of course, senior features writer with the Irish Times and a lady with a well-known wanderlust and a love of adventure. She has a new book out entitled Elsewhere, One Woman, One Rucksack, One Lifetime of Travel. She joins me now on the line. Rosita, how are you? Hi, good afternoon. Thank you very much for having me on. I was so looking forward to speaking to you because I stayed up half the night reading this book. Oh, well. I wanted to be prepared, but it also grabbed me from page one. Oh, well, I'm delighted to hear that. I'm sorry I kept you from your sleep. But but anyway, thank you. Not at all, not at all. It's a great read. And it's a great read because it's a series of essays. You can dip in and dip out of it and you're not committed to finishing. You can just dip in and and it doesn't make a difference. And it's, it's a rollicking good read, I have to say. It's funny. And it's very, very sad as well at times. But can we can we go back and see where did you start to get the idea to write it or what prompted you to write this particular book? So I've been travelling. The, the time span of Elsewhere covers about 30 years and I've been travelling um, for a, uh, several. I've had several trips of, of several months each in that period of time. And uh, the commonality to all of them, no matter where I was in the world, whether it was South America or in Southeast Asia, was that I always kept a diary. Um, So when I came back, I never did anything with my diaries and I never wrote about, wrote very, very little about what I had been doing or where I'd been. But I knew that the diaries were there if I needed to put myself back into the place where I had written them. And I suppose about two and a half years ago, I started thinking that, Maybe I could, I had always thought that I would write about one journey and then, you know, that time would pass and then I'd do another one. And I suppose it just occurred to me that perhaps I could think about writing a book of essays about travel in a different way. And instead of one linear journey to revisit times in my life and look at nine different journeys in nine different places and tell nine different kinds of stories. Yeah, well, the opening chapter, it really grabbed me, Rosita. It, it's your time in Australia, way back in 1988. And, and if I can just speak to you about that for a minute, what struck me there was your fearlessness. I mean, when you look back, do you think, were you were you very brave or were you a tiny bit naive when you landed in, in that tiny little resort in the rainforest? Can you, can you tell us a bit about that, your time in Australia? So I spent a year in Australia and the essay is about something that happened to me in the very last uh, kind of 10 days, two weeks of my time in Australia. And I ended up, I was in this place, Daintree in Queensland, in the north of the north, uh, northeast of Australia. And it it was a little eco resort. And I, when I arrived there, it had only just opened and I saw a sign that they were looking for 
workers in exchange for bed and board. And it was just a beautiful place. It was set right in the middle of the rainforest. The rainforest was like a parasol over all these little mm. eco huts. And it was on the ocean. So it was where the rainforest meets the sea. And it was it's still, I think, the most beautiful place I've ever seen in my life. Just, I mean, it sounds amazing. It sounds idyllic. But we're talking 1988, no mobile phones. Not that there probably would have been coverage out there anyway. But, I mean, were you afraid at all travelling on your own to these places? No. And that's something that I, I write about in, in one of the chapters, the uh, Pakistan chapter. And, uh, you know, people were always saying, you're telling me that I was so brave to be travelling on my own. But the thing is, you're only brave if you're uh, afraid of something and you do it anyway. I've never been afraid of traveling by myself. And that's because what's the alternative if you don't have someone to go with you? You stay at home and you don't go anywhere and therefore you don't have all of these incredible experiences. Um, so sometimes it's a little bit tough. But for me, uh, you know, the, the, the payoff has been so amazing that like, mm. you know, that there's, it's, I wouldn't I would never not have done it. So uh, I'm just looking at page 29 of your book and it's about London. And there's one quote in it that really struck me. If I may, I'll just read this. And you say, at three different times in my life, I lived in London. London for me was always about earning enough money to go elsewhere. I was always coming back from somewhere flat broke and planning the next escape. That is just brilliant. You're describing me as well, I have to tell you. That that was when I was a bit younger and I'd love to be able to do it now. But I mean, did you always feel that way, that you never wanted to to have the, the job, the steady job, the pension, the whole lot, that you always had this bug to travel? Well, I suppose, you know, Ireland is a very small country and the world is very large. <laughs> and I'm a very curious person. And I suppose I just always wanted to see and still do to see as much of the world as possible because just because I'm so curious and because I love going other places and having new experiences. And as you'll know, as a somebody who travels yourself, that the more you travel, the bigger the world is and not smaller. So it's an inexhaustible joy and it's something that I will want to keep doing until I am. Uh, mm. Yeah, until... Well, I'm not going to talk about that, but I'm going to keep on travelling. <laughs> You're going to keep travelling. <laughs> so, so elsewhere, as I said, you can dip in, you can dip out of it. So I'm going to jump now from one continent to another. So we're going to jump from London to Antarctica. So it struck me as well, you were in New Zealand and suddenly you heard people talk about Antarctica like it was just down the road. How did that make you feel? Excited to really think, oh, Antarctica. Excited. Yes, and, and uh, you know, Antarctica is part of, of New Zealand's consciousness in a way that it isn't in Europe, and that is partly, that is wholly to do with the geographical distance. Because you're, you know, really, it's once you reach the bottom of uh, New Zealand, sort of the next stop is Antarctica. And there's a lot of, there's a New Zealand base in Antarctica, and lots of New Zealanders have worked in that base. So people, I heard people talking about Antarctica in a way that I never, ever would have in Ireland or Europe, or in fact, any anywhere else I'd ever been. And it just began to seep into my consciousness. So that was the kind of the beginning of wanting to plan a trip there, which I duly did then. And it didn't disappoint, I take it. What What was your first impression? Well, it's it, it really is kind of out of this world because it's the reverse of everything we know. It's it's white. Mm. There's, there's no colour. There's no there's no traffic. There's no evidence of human habitation. It's almost dystopian and you're on a ship so you can't it feels like you're almost flying because you know when you're on something you can't see how you're traveling um, mm. 
it's not part of the landscape, I suppose, is what I'm trying to say. So if you're standing at the top of the ship, you're like almost like one of those albatrosses, like flying yeah. through the icebergs. And well, that's a wonderful description of it. Um, it, it. It Probably then you'd say it was one of the most beautiful places you've ever been. Yes, and I mean, it is, it's just, it's incredible place. It's so, so beautiful. And because it's so far away and so expensive to get to, that really, of all of my journeys, that one definitely was a trip of a lifetime. And it, for not even for financial reasons, but because it was so extraordinary and astonishing to see it once. I want to keep that in my head. I, I don't want to see it again. I don't need to see it again. Okay. It's, um, if that makes sense. So, it, it, yeah, oh, perfect sense. Yeah, because it's not going to get any better for you, is it? To see it again would just maybe ruin the first time that you saw it. Um, it's one of the most beautiful places on earth. But in your opinion, what is, of all the places you've travelled to, the place that really had the biggest impact on you in terms of its beauty? Well, I did love that rainforest in um, in Australia, the Daintree Rainforest. Now, I was there a long time ago and I haven't been back. And who knows what it's like now, but it is where the rainforest meets the sea. And it is, for me, the most incredibly beautiful place I've ever been. And it, because you're you have both things. You have the horizons mm. of the ocean and then you have this amazing, incredible ecosystem of the rainforest and a completely different sort of world and both See, of them are beautiful and you can literally go in and out between both of them. Usually can, it's either one or the other. I've never been anywhere like that. It's I, I can just picture the quiet calm of the ocean in front of you and the noise of the canopy of the rainforest behind you. It must be stunning. It was, it was so much so that, you know, I can still see it in my head. I've still got the image of and tell me something of that rainforest onto the beach and oh. seeing this white sand and the blue oh. ocean. God, you're putting the longing on all of us in here and it's such a rainy, horrible day outside. Can I ask you a question? Where, of all the places you've been to, where was the most, the biggest culture shock, we'll say? So that would be Nepal because the first time I went to Asia, I went to Asia for eight months um, and I made my way overland from Kathmandu to Istanbul. So my first stop was Nepal and it's the first time that I had been to Asia or out of, you know, out of Europe. And that was a enormous culture shock because it was it was as anybody who knows who's travelled um, to a less developed country for the first time, all of your senses are assaulted at once. You know the noise, um, the smells, the visual, the chaos, and you know I, I spent the first few days in Kathmandu in the Kathmandu guest house sewing like a Victorian lady and venturing out every now and then because I could only take so much of it um, at a time. Right. And I just thought, oh my God, am I going to be able to deal with this? Because I knew I was going to be able, to, I was going to be away for months at that time. Mm. And then I went off trekking and when I came back, I just thought Kathmandu is the coolest place I'd ever been. And <laughs> I suddenly I had adjusted. But it is, I, so I think that for anybody who is traveling to a less developed country for the first time, that, that's where they're going to have their and most visceral culture shock. So, I mean, what next? Where next? Where, where, where is left for you to go? I presume there's a few places still on your bucket list. Oh, you know, as I said already, the, the more you travel, the bigger the world is, and, mm. and not the smaller. Um, so I would love to see, I've never seen the Northern Lights, and they, you know, they appear across the top of Scandinavia in the winter. Mm-hmm. So I would really love to see that. And, and one of the things I love about the Northern Lights or the idea of them is that you can't predict when you'll see them. So I really like that element of surprise and, yeah. 
you know, that there's luck and chance involved and yeah. it's not predictable. And that's part of the allure for me. So I'd love to see that someday. Oh, right. OK, well, when you do promise us, you will write a book about all of that because this one's a brilliant read. And as I say, I'm stuck into it. I'm really loving it. It's now out on paperback. And Rosita, we have a copy of the book to give away on the show. But for now, Rosita, thanks very much for joining me today on Late Lunch. Thank you. And the best of luck. So if you'd like to win a copy of Rosita's book called Elsewhere, One Woman, One Rucksack, One Lifetime of Travel, just text in with the answer to this question. What is the capital city of Peru? Text or WhatsApp us now on 086-1800-658. The Late Lunch with Blackstone Motors. Don't miss out on amazing 192 early bird offers at Blackstone Motors today for exclusive 192 offers on all things Renault and Dacia and the full Renault commercial van range. Get down to Blackstone Motors showrooms in Dundalk or Drogheda. And you're very welcome back to Late Lunch this afternoon. Now, sad news reached us earlier today of the death of Philomena Linnett, the mother of Thin Lizzie's Phil Linnett. She passed away at the age of 88 this morning. Philomena, who was a great friend of LMFM and appeared on the Late Lunch here over the years, was battling cancer for the last number of years. We remember her today with a good friend of hers and her son, the musician Brush Shields. He joins me now on the line. How are you, Brush? Uh, you know, I, I, I was expecting it anyway, Joe, but it still always comes like it's fairly sad, you know? Oh, it's a shock, even when it does come, even when you were expecting it. Well, it is, but it's, it's kind of uh, more sadness than shocking, if you know what I mean. Yeah, I know. But listen, I, I met Philomena once. She was a lady, a lovely lady. But Can you tell me the kind of woman she was? You, you knew her very, very well. Well, I, I'll tell you how I got to know her, Joe, which is the most important thing. Yeah. It's the 11th of January, 1969. I got married that day, and our son, Philip, a couple of days beforehand, I said, I've no money for the honeymoon. <laughs> and he says, what we'll do is the three of us will go over to my ma's hotel in Wally Grange, Mosside Wally Grange in Manchester. So I said, okay, so the three of us went on the honeymoon together. <laughs> we get to the airport, there's Phil's ma waiting on us. That was the first time I met her. And she had more personality than the whole lot of us put together. Beautiful lady. So we, she brought us back to the hotel. And the first thing she said to me was, there's a band here called the Ivy League. They had a couple of hits, I remember them. That's why I'm crying and tossed them turning. She said, I'm not getting a job with you. I'm not getting a job for you. <laughs> for the week. <laughs> she got me a job for the whole week of me honeymoon. And Phil and Margaret out dancing in front of me. And we've, we've, we've been the best of friends ever since, since the 11th of January, 1969. You knew this lady. And you yeah. went over on your honeymoon and you ended up working. <laughs> and Phil ended up romancing your new wife on the dance floor. There's not too many people said that Phil and came on the honeymoon with them, you know? Absolutely, no. But, I mean, Philomena never really got over Phil's death, did she? Not at all. No mother does. No. And uh, never recovered. You know, there's nothing you can... The years went by and she wrote the books and it kept her going. Like keeping his memory going kept Philomena going. Now, Phyllis, as we call her. But she never got over him. But at the same time, it was his memory that kept her vibrant and kept her going till 88. That's my opinion. Like, yeah, and she was devoted to him totally. I mean, all, all, all mothers love their sons, especially us Irish mammies. We love our sons. But she was really devoted to Phil, wasn't she? No doubt about it. But Phil has managed to go halfway around the world. People wanted to talk about Phil. And they'd fly her out to Holland. They flew her to Germany. They flew her to Finland. You know, they flew her to America. Mm. And, like, all in all, to get a chance to talk about your son when he's already headed for the promised land prematurely, it's a beautiful thing for a mother. 
Yeah, and her book, My Boy, that was a beautiful book. That was so well written. It was absolutely beautiful memoir of him. Um, did she talk to you about that when she was writing it? Ah, she did, yeah. You know, we when we talked, we, you know, we talked. You'd have to be talking about it. Yeah. Like, when Phil came into my life, I didn't know anything about Phyllis, you know? It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. When I met Bill in 67, I didn't know all about Phyllis. And... Hopefully I had some kind of positive effect on his plan and his ability to get wherever he got to. And Phyllis always appreciated that. Always told me she appreciated it, you know, and, I, and she meant it. Sure, you were great pals, Brush, over the years, yourself and Phil. Well, we were the best of pals. He came on me honeymoon, but it didn't stop me <laughs> shopping him. You know, I first came to show. <laughs> he had to go. Only true friends can do that. Well, you know, as I said, it hurt me more than it hurt him. Come here, what's, uh, your, what's your best memory of Philo? Well, she, we have great memories. I can tell you, probably have a load of stories you can't talk about on air. Well, obviously, you wouldn't be telling the truth all the time. So that doesn't do you. But what you can honestly say is that, uh, you know, we never got a Phil and myself, we never got a chance to say goodbye. And I spoke to Phyllis about four weeks ago. And in a way, you, know, you never really, you never say goodbye. So great memories of, from, of, of Phil himself, great memories of his mother. And that's really, you know, time has started, 50 years have gone past very fast. Yeah. You, know, you know, yeah. It's fifty years when I'm talking about January nineteen sixty nine. Yeah, and fifty they're, they're, years they're, gone. In, bet you they're gone in a blink, are they? Unfortunately, you know, here we are, and I'm looking at the stairs as I'm going. <laughs> 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 I'm looking at the stairs before I walk up them. You know, <laughs> you're thinking about things now before you attempt them. <laughs> well, yeah, <laughs> it's a bit of that. Can, tell me, do you, same time. do you remember the day the statue was, was erected in Dublin in, in, in Philo's honour? Do you remember her reaction to that? She was delighted. She was, she was delighted the statue was there, but the guy, there's a, the side story to that, which is very funny, is the guy who designed the statue and built it, he was barred. 
Why was he burnt? That's another story. Oh, you can't. Can't top it off or something to do. You know? Oh, you can't tell us that one either, can you? No, no, this is the the guy. The only one who wasn't allowed near the statue was the guy that designed it. <laughs> he wanted to be selling his own. You know. Oh my God. Uh, he, he, he had his own box, of little statues. So there were oh. so many people selling statues. It was like the old days <laughs> when you were going into a Dublin match. Had the guys be selling the hats and the scarves and the little dolls for wearing <laughs> on your collar. <laughs> 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 there was more people selling statues of fellows than I was. <laughs> and listen to me before I let you go. It's a great night that night, but uh, yeah. you know you know yourself. But there's, there's all stuff it's, around it that's even yeah. There's no such thing as a normal night for Phyllis in her life ever. No, not since Phil left yeah. us. Yeah, not since he left us. Yeah. And listen, just before I let you go, Brush, and thanks a million for for taking time out to chat with me today. But when was the last time you were talking to her, and how was she? Was she in good? Was she in uh, good she form, or was she? She too old to go. Too old. Too old to go for the you know the yeah. therapy yeah. she's going to let her go and she's going to she thought that uh, did she she said she's so too old for, yeah you know you know you, you, it's like I don't want to see you unless you're looking good that's right totally you know oh right okay that's the way that's the way you put it yeah well listen you know, nobody, you know when you're not looking good it's time to go ah look Brush it's a sad day it's a sad day for everybody well, concerned well, but listen expect it but yeah it's still it, it brings back other memories Joe, you know what I mean it takes me back to January 69 great days yeah and your honeymoon and you on the stage and Phil on the floor with your wife the Ivy League tossing and turning that's why I'm crying and the Hong Kong flu and the great days and being friends with somebody from then till now listen they were great years and she was a great lady there was no one like her she I tell you there was a few times she was on the late night and there was a few times she was on things and you just knew this is a great night, you know. This yeah, is all about a fabulous could, lady. You could, see, you could see a lot of fellow in her. You had your personality, the charisma. Oh yeah, the talk, right? And, and she was still a very, a very dignified, refined lady. Ah. Yeah, well, for the television. <laughs> for the television, exactly. I met her once. I had a little yeah, chat well, with her. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm delighted I have a lovely photograph with her. Well, she's lovely in it, not me. Yeah, she loved that, though, Joe. That's what was. She loved that, let us say. So, uh, look you know, it. Happy days. Yeah, okay. Listen, Brush, thanks a million for taking I the time. Talk look. about a lovely lady who passed away this morning, Philomena ah. Linnett. And it's only fishing. Listen, we'll, we'll play out a song from, from her boy. This is Parisian Walkways. Ah, lovely. Thank you. Thanks, Brush. Goodbye, bye.
Lunch with Blackstone Motors. Don't miss out on amazing 192 early bird offers at Blackstone Motors today for exclusive 192 offers on all things Renault and Dacia and the full Renault commercial van range. Get down to Blackstone Motors showrooms in Dundalk or Drogheda. And you're very welcome back to Late Lunch this afternoon. Don't forget you can text or WhatsApp us on 086 1800 Now, I'm joined in studio by four people with a keen interest in the motor industry. And after nine years of success, the one-day Drogheda Motor Festival is coming back to the centre of town this weekend. All the local dealerships will be on hand to share advice and showcase all cars if you're lucky enough to be in the market for a lovely, sparkly 192 vehicle. To tell us more of what to expect, we have in studio our own motoring correspondent Tony Conlon, Jack Doran from Doran Motors, Alan Reynolds of Reynolds Mazda and Fiat and Donna Farrell from Blackstone Motors. How are you guys? Doing great. Very good. Thank yeah. you. How's everybody? Donna, will you pull right into that microphone for me, good woman? So can I come to you first, Tony? Yes, If you honest. want to tell me about this weekend and the event, is it is it the show to go to if you're looking for a new car? Well, I think it's very credible that Drogheda, after nine years, is going ahead with with a motor show. It's It, it shows great unity among the dealers. It's actually an example that could be spread around the country. Mm. Because to put on a motor show and nowadays can cost mega, mega bucks. Uh, trying to hire out to use the, the streetscape here in Drogheda is a fantastic idea and <clears throat> it's not dog eat dog like the fact that everyone's out there on display with the latest models it's really good for the town it's good for the county and I'm sure people will come in from adjoining counties because indeed Drogheda is very much now a hub a major hub in motoring from a dealership perspective so it's, it's great to see and what you will see is without going through the whole list of, is a lot of new models for 192 for the 192 reg and we are going through major, major change in the industry. So when I say that, you'll probably see Jack Dorn may have the new Nero Electric uh, and uh, there's another new one, the, the Nero. What else, Jack? What's the, the Soul. The Soul. And that Soul is a, an amazing little thing. These are the, the electric cars. Yes, electric yeah. cars. And then, like, you see Mazda will have the, the tree there, I'm sure. Yeah, all new and, Mazda And the Fiat's that are phenomenal value at the moment there. And, of course, we have Renault. So, look, uh, I think it is a major event and it's going to be great for all to come in and see. So, everybody's coming together to showcase all the cars that are on offer. Can I just yeah. jump over to you a minute, Jack, about yeah. the electric cars? Is there a huge upsurge in popularity for these now? Uh, there is. There's quite an upsurge. Um, there's still uh, Diesel cars are still uh, very popular, but we're... We're uh, pushing the uh, uh, 
plug-in hybrid at the moment and uh, it's very very successful it's the Nero plug-in hybrid I mean I'm driving one myself and I've never exceeded a, a thousand kilometres before without having to refuel and there's 1200 kilometres at the moment on it right. I'm, I'm averaging about 1.2 kilometres per hundred uh, well that's uh, very good that's very good so, uh, yeah. it, it, it's excellent and it's you know, the usual seven-year warranty and 0% finance and what have you. And are more people being kind of open to this now, to the, the electric car, the hybrid vehicles? Or are we still thinking diesel is the best job to go for? Yeah, well, nobody more than myself is open to, to, to the plug-in hybrid because up to this I was, oh, diesel, diesel, diesel. Mm. And uh, when it was suggested I, I put on a, a Nero uh, demo, I, was, I kind of bucked against it. But I found, found it since. It, it's fantastic. And Alan, what about yourself? What, what do you think of all the new cars that are on the market nowadays? Like, um, what should people be looking for? Suppose I was going out there and I said, right, I, I don't know what kind of a car I want. Um, I'm a woman on my own. I don't, I'm not carting kids around. I just do an awful lot of mileage in a year and, and I like to be high up off the ground. I don't like anything low down. I mean, what's out there for me? Yeah, well, I suppose there's like, well, the electric cars are great. They're still sort of in their infancy, I suppose, for, would be my sort of thinking on it. If you're doing loads of miles, diesel is definitely the way to go. Mm. Petrol's become quite popular over the last few years as well, but uh, and so have the SUVs. It's funny how the, how the whole market, not the whole market, but a good section of the market has gone from sort of the four-door family saloon to the sort of mini SUV and full SUV, you know. But there's oodles of choice, absolutely oodles of choice out there. Even for somebody... Well, well, what would you but say? I'd to suggest Mazda or Fiat. Of course but you I'm, would. Of course I'm very Of course it. you would. Unfortunately, I just got a new car in February, but we won't talk about that now. <laughs> we won't talk about <laughs> But when my husband phoned me and asked me, you know, to talk about this new car, I just said, what colour is it? Yeah. Like, that is... I know that, that I should... That, that's, that's super important. It's and, super important, and, and but it ground, was... We hear that all the time. But Alan, day. it was the only thing I asked him. Uh, (laughs) that was the only thing I trusted him with the rest I just said what colour is it I suppose the the colour is really important but from from our point of view for the the motor show what's really exciting this year as as Tony said it's our ninth year now doing it Mm. and and myself and Jack and and, and the guys in Black Sun have been in it and all the motor dealers have been in it since the start but this is the first year that we've actually taken it outside so we're we're on Lawrence Street we're there the, the road is closed for the day We'll have entertainment. The the guard the guards are going to be there giving demos on safety, and the other Malta guys are going to be there. There's going to be a real carnival carnival feel to it. Um, where there's going to be uh, food and entertainment, and there's there's also going to be music at the gate. So up around, up around Lawrence's Lawrence Gate, there'll be live music there all day as well. So <laughs> we're, we're we, we, I think all the dealers mm-hmm. yeah that yeah. sounds like we're, a great event really you just want the weather now for it well weather's important but it's not to be all nailed all yeah but, but uh, it, it, there'll be some lovely cars there and there'll be some great deals as well I'm sure and cars have come on in leaps and bounds in the last few There's years no comparison they? between uh, cars now and 10 years ago they just there aren't any bad cars on the road now they, I mean they're all very very good they all have their own uh, specifications and they're, they're very good but one of the reasons that uh, I think uh, having the show on the Lawrence Street is um, there are so many people in the hinterland of Drogheda Drogheda and the hinterland that are not from the area and as a result they don't come into Drogheda uh, uh, very often yeah. and we're hoping that this would bring uh, people into Drogheda 
and see, you know, look at all the dealers there are in the place instead of them going yeah. uh, to back to where they came from to yeah. buy. Hopefully they'll buy more uh, locally because they can get every business good a deal uh, locally and they can get far better service. Sorry, Alan, you and wanted to come very, in there. That's a very important, uh, important point as well. The street traders of Lawrence Street have been behind us 100%. Now, they've effectively given yeah. us our stage for, for the weekend. Or yeah, for, the, for, the, for, for Saturday. Saturday. So uh, just a, just a, a shout out to them as well. They've been terrific all the way along. Yeah, of course. And Tony, can I come back to you for sure. a second? So the show this year, you're going to focus a bit on safety, aren't you, with the new cars and all the, all well, the safety, new... Safety is a very major thing now in cars. There's no yeah. question at all about it. Like the built-in safety standards to cars, uh, you're nearly at a point of a crossroads of autonomous driving and such like that. If you go over the line lane change system whatever will come into full and all that yeah. there's so many safety aspects there I would say to people looking at cars to speak to the dealers and speak to the dealers about the safety elements of the cars I think thinking safety will be much better than for example maybe putting in a panoramic sunroof into your car when you yeah. look at the weather we're having at the moment yeah. uh, the other thing you have people here like uh, and we're just on the subject of safety if you don't mind John no uh, just coming here today about three miles out to Belrath Road here is a sea of mud with mud coming in off a field can we just say if people think of safety will they put up a sign please and just advise young Good motorists point. and non-motorists well said safety starts right at root level but just when you look at the way the industry has changed we, we have a lady here for marketing with, with Blackstone Donna and they I've been looking here at a few press releases and she can speak for herself but Dashia are having a, an event from Thursday to the 15th uh, a sales event or celebrating seven years in Ireland then you have the, for, for example a deal on the Zoe, the little Zoe, which is possibly the cheapest electric car, the most reasonable electric car out there, and I'm only off leaving one back, and it, it does do what it says in the tin, let me tell you that, and you don't suffer from anxiety or anything like that. And then you, you know, but Renault are, are after going and coming up with a big uh, deal with Nissan over in, um, over in Israel, as about, again, autonomous driving. And the RS has become the fastest car on the Nuremberg That's the RS Megane. And then, of course, if you read this week's week Chronicle, I have the Coupe version, the Grand Coupe Renault, which is the saloon car as such. Uh, certainly understated because there's a new 1.3 petrol engine. I got goose pimples from the God first because I love the, the diesel element of the economy of the Renault. And I said, God, this is going to be hard and juice wasn't to the contrary it was very very good lovely balance so that's just one aspect and Donna can speak for herself as I said but there's plenty from everyone uh, including Alan and Jack and all that uh, Donna do you want to jump in there and just give me your aspect on it what, what are the big sellers do you think what, what are the things people are looking for when they're coming in um, well it depends I suppose um, in terms of demographics and um, the Clio and the Capture would be would be really good sellers for, for women no, you just need to come right close to the microphone. Good woman, thank you. Um, and then the Kajar is, is a really, really popular one um, for Renault. Um, Stepway is really, really good in terms of of, of selling in, for Dacia. Because that's a kind of a, it's a kind of a car, small SUV, t- is the Stepway yeah, kind of yeah. a little higher up than your normal car, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. These are really popular with women and let, I'll, I'll just talk to Donna for a second, woman to woman here, but I like to be high up the, off the ground when I'm driving. I, oh, I, I'd be I'd be the opposite. Oh, would you? Well, it's probably because I'm five foot, but <laughs> no, I, I, like I like to be able to see over the ditch. <laughs> I like to see over the ditches. <laughs> when I'm driving you know yeah, oh yeah. I've been signalled out here by Louise I need to take a break but we'll be back with more on the Drogheda Motor Show after this 
The Late Lunch with Blackstone Motors. Get lowest can be APR, zero deposit required and finance arranged within four hours with all 192 pre-ordered Renaults. What are you waiting for? There's never been a better time to visit Blackstone Motors, Dundalk, Drogheda or Cavan. And you're very welcome back to Late Lunch this afternoon where we're talking about the Drogheda Motor Festival coming up this weekend at the town. We're chatting to our own motoring correspondent, Tony Conlon. Jack Doran is here from Doran Motors. Alan Reynolds from Reynolds Mazda and Fiat. And Donna Farrell is here from Blackstone Motors. If I can come back over to you, Tony, for a second. We were talking about safety features before the break and talking about how personally I like to be high up in a car when I'm driving. And and you wanted to come back to me and talk a bit about that. Well, no, you're, you're correct. The phenomenon out there at the moment is SUV. Most car manufacturers are represented now with SUV sport mm. utility vehicle because people like the height factor and now the fact that you know, it's not rattle and roll anymore like an old Jeeps years ago that they actually handle to and they're, they're quite comfortable on the road is another aspect but, but being able to see the visibility element is, is huge but then there's D-segment cars like D-segment cars have been suffering in sales a lot of segments actually D especially and you have the likes of Puget there Holcroft will be there to show too with the new 508 and here's a car they've definitely pushed out the boat in this thing because it's absolutely stunningly beautiful and they're going to want trying to capture but they also manufacture lovely SUVs and See, the quality of car out there is really tremendous at the moment. Mm. But what they're going to try and do is capture back a few D-segment sales. But And as Jack did say, it is going to take time because if you're used of nearly walking into an SUV uh, without having to stoop, because you will have to stoop a little bit in the 508, uh, but you know what's inside, what I witnessed inside the 508, be true for which you lads, I crawl into it. Mm. Never mind stoop because there's a lot of attractions in there too. Like you know, Oh, really? I, but it's not as high. Is that what you're saying? It's well, it's, it's low. It's, it's Cooper. Like, it's, it's Cooper. Okay. Like, you can call it fastback, hatchback, liftback, saloon, call it what you will, but it's a stunningly beautiful looking car, which is actually a hatch, a hatch boot. Are you, find, are you finding this across the board then, that, that an awful lot more people are looking for SUVs? Oh are yeah, you? most definitely. Uh, you know, people, I would say at least 70% of the people coming in through the showroom are looking for SUVs or mini SUVs and the manufacturers like uh, we have we have the new Citroen C5 Aircross, which is a magnificent uh, uh, car, and we have the C3 Aircross, and now we have that we have the Sportage and Kia, mm. and they're coming out now with the X Seed, which is going to be a small uh, uh, SUV, which is going to be a, a winner because I mean. You're not alone. Not alone are, are people looking for for them new. They're looking for them secondhand. Yeah. You know, and uh, you know, every every new car we sell, we buy in another one, which is a secondhand, and, and that's the one where our money is. Yeah. And you know, when we're talking, if I can come over to you, Alan, for a second, we're talking about safety features and all the gadgets, as Tony was saying, inside in the car. Uh, my car is touchscreen everything, and I, I haven't a clue. Of how, I haven't. I, I, it's only new, and I haven't really played around with it to find out. But mm. I find it very distracting. Do you, do you find it? Do you think? It's, it's almost become flip side now the safety features are now distractions when you're trying to drive yeah I, I'm not sure whether the touch, the touch screen is a safety feature or such but mm. um, I know I can't speak for any other brand but I know on the Mazda and the Fiat once you get over a certain miles per hour so if you go if you're going more than five miles per hour you can't touch it anymore yeah. it, it won't it's not It's not active oh really I, yeah so that, that's maybe one thing that, <laughs> that, that, <laughs> that might be cool. okay but even in terms of the touch screen for sat nav um, like it's better than holding your phone and having google maps yeah you know what I mean so yeah yeah true it might be effectively a safety feature but it is 
safer driving. Yeah, that's right. My car one does the, have that. One, I just haven't the, used it. One of the features, and it's possibly on your car, um, but one of the, one of the, the better features that I've seen over the last couple of years is is the introduction of Apple CarPlay and Android yes. Auto. Yeah. So you say, "Hey Google, yeah. bring me to Crow Park." Yeah, yeah. bring okay. you to Crow Park. Yeah. yeah, and it's there. And and from a safety point of view, that's way way better. Yeah. Yeah. The, the, the less buttons you have to press, the better. Can I ask you a question that uh, myself and a couple of the girls in the office were talking about earlier on, and we were talking about um, my producer Louise has a car that she's so fond of. She's had it. Um, it's a. Can I say Louise? Your favorite car? It's an 05 Yaris, and she won't part with it. And she said when she does, when she has to part with it, she's going to cry her eyes out. Yeah. Do you find that people get uh, attached to their car so much that they're, they're almost like a physical being? Yeah, most definitely. Uh, look, I remember the first time, oh, going back many years now, selling a car. And I couldn't understand why this child was kicking up murder. And the mother <laughs> said, oh, he doesn't want to get rid of the car. And oh. it, it is. People become uh, attached to the car. Uh, I can't see any other reason why you'd hang on to 14 years old to a car. <laughs> no, she even named it. I won't tell. I won't. Yeah, I won't. Yeah. Well, well, <laughs> She's well, laughing at us in there. I definitely had, a, had especially around the time where we were doing the scrappage deal. Yeah. The government oh, scrappage Lord deal. You'd have, you'd, you'd have people in the shore collecting their new car, delighted with their new car, but they'd be saying, bye bye, Betsy. <laughs> you know, almost, you know, holding water. And oh, and well, if I was like you know. a producer and I had a Ferrari, I'd cry if I had to get rid of it. If you had it, a so Ferrari, yeah, yeah, yeah like Louise's Ferrari. So yeah. she doesn't want to get rid of it, like, you know. No, she doesn't, but she might be looking for a new car now soon. That's why we were talking about that this morning. <laughs> you come down on Saturday. Yeah. You'll have to come down this, on this Saturday, Saturday, Louise. Yeah, so what time is it all kicking off? Sorry, Tony, did you want to come oh, in with yeah, something? Just one thing, Joan, on, on the... Uh, you may read between the lines about sales. Sales are kind of holding the row, maybe down a little bit. But you yeah. can assure uh, visitors to the show that what they will see is going to be actually factual and real and, 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 and truthful. And what I say about new car sales and, and even the demo cars from these people or from loud dealers or B dealers or whatever, that what you see is what you get. It's going to be the facts. A lot of people talk about imports and what I'm really laughing, I'm sitting back mm-hmm. and I'm laughing is, I admire anyone that's in the motor industry and wants to import a car themselves, that's fine. But if you're a farmer or if you're a builder and you think you're going to make a quick buck out of importing cars or if you're someone that's not really honest and clocks a car and it's very hard to tell a clock car but mm-hmm. there's nearly 100,000 imports there and I can tell you they're all not true. And let me just warn people to better off going and having a good look at things where the full warranty and everything else. So this Saturday, everything's on display there. You can come down and have a look if you're in the market. What Before I, I, I talk about Saturday, what's 191 been like for sales? It's been very tough. Has it's it? Very tough. The market, the market has been down uh, mm. almost continuously. And uh, some of the manufacturers are falsifying the figures insofar as they're pre-registering so many cars they're registering cars and leaving them in a compound and then they're imposing them on the dealers to go and sell and I think it was in March in the last two days of the month of March there were 45% of the registrations on those two days were for hire drive so the figures Uh were totally and utterly distorted and uh, you know the manufacturers, you can see by the way the manufacturers are speaking that they, they I think we expect what, 115, 120,000, so uh, yeah, 119, maybe, maybe knocking at the door. I mean, a couple yeah. of years ago we were selling 150, 160. Yeah, so it's down on the last few years. Yeah, yeah. One thing I'd like to say about Saturday, if anyone, please God, uh, we have a good turnout, but anyone coming to Lawrence Street, they can be assured of the best of attention and they get a good a good deal from all the dealers. We're not going down looking for a suntan 
we want to sell cars. And finally, we must thank Robert Murray from First Citizen Finance for the level of input he has had into this show. Without Robert, there'd be no show. Well, well done, Robert. Yeah. Well done to all of you guys. And best of luck for Saturday. So we're going to have to wrap it up there because I'm getting the signal from Louise. But great excitement for everyone. So it kicks off at 10 o'clock Saturday morning, Lawrence Street in Drogheda until 5 on Saturday evening. The best of luck, Tony, Jack, Alan, Donna. Thanks a million. Take care. The Late Lunch with Blackstone Motors. Get low as can be APR, zero deposit required and finance arranged within four hours with all 192 pre-ordered Renaults. What are you waiting for? There's never been a better time to visit Blackstone Motors, Dundalk, Drogheda or Cavan. Very welcome back to Late Lunch. And our last item today is a really inspirational story. A Meath man who believes the running fraternity and support groups helped to save his life, literally save his life at a time when he was using food and drink to hide his feelings. And he says everybody should join some kind of a club. Stephen Dever from Kells joins us now on the line to tell us his story. How are you, Stephen? Hello, Joan. How are you? I'm great. Thanks. Not a bother. How are you doing? Not too bad, not too bad. Stephen, will you take us back to the start? What happened to you um, as a young man? You had problems with your weight. Did you always have problems, even as a young fella? No, I didn't, um, because um, when I was a young lad, I was living at Drumbara, and I lived beside the football pitch in Drumbara, and I was always out there kicking the ball, and I lived on the farm, and I was always busy doing stuff on the farm, so I was fairly active, so I was. And, uh, you know, I always was an active kid, you know, growing up, so I was. So a normal sort of weight when you were growing up. When when, yeah. when did the weight start to creep on, Stephen? When when I moved into when we moved into Kells around twenty four years ago, I'm not entirely sure now. It was something like that. Mm. And, uh, and what age were uh, you then? Around? Oh, I was in the uh, late teens, early twenties, something like that. That's okay. When, yeah, and um, I uh, basically um, I stopped doing the things I was doing, you know, and uh, mm-hmm. I was uh, putting on lots of weight and. Um, I never knew what kind of weight I was, but I had I tried a million diets, <laughs> you know. And yeah, so you tried all the? Did you try all the old crash ones and the the oh, quick diets and the quick name, fixes name and name the name liquids and all that? Absolutely yes. And um, but what were you what, eating, Stephen? That was I mean, you were you were a young man. So uh, what what kind of stuff were you eating? Too much or just the wrong stuff? I I was a good eater, like I ate proper food, but it was in between where I'd done the damage. It was. Uh, mm. The, it was the takeaways, it was the crisps and it mm. was the chocolate and it was everything like that. All the lovely stuff. All the lovely stuff is right. Mm. Yeah. Bread was a killer as well. Like bread, me and bread, I don't know. Oh yeah, anyway. no, look, I hear you on that one. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, you know, I, I felt then when um, I had um, put up, I was putting on the weight, the, the, the worst thing for me was looking at myself in the mirror. I didn't yeah. like what I saw. Mm. And then before I knew it, because of that, I didn't like talking about my feelings and I would turn to drink then as uh, a way to get away from it, from the way I looked in right. the mirror. So, so, so then it's a vicious I, circle. You're looking at yourself in the mirror. You, you don't like how you look. So you say, yeah. well, I'm going to go out and sit in the numb pub, was it? Pain. Numb the pain. Yeah, yeah, numb the pain. And it was getting worse and worse. So it was. And... Um, I think it was around when I was in my mid-twenties or so, I, I could be right. Um, I, um, you know, I got a bit of a fright, so I did. Uh, I thought I was having a heart attack, but it wasn't. I was, had pleurisy, I had pains in my chest. Right. And I was, um, 
I was basically stuck in bed for a couple of weeks and um, my back was in bits and it was the weight as well wasn't helping. And what weight were you at that stage, Stephen, do you know? Well, I'm about to tell you why, how I found out what weight I was. Oh, and, go uh, on. Um, I was um, decided, um, um, a family member of mine decided that uh, maybe you should go to uh, Weight Watchers, which is now Wellness That Works. Mm-hmm. And I joined, I went in the first week and I got on the weighing scales and I was 21 stone, 10 and a half pounds. Right. And uh, that was a fright, a massive fright. You must have got an awful shock, did you? I did, yeah. It was a big fright. and um, But I, it made me determined. And in, within a year, I lost 100 pounds. And I got a certificate for the £100. When and you were featured in the magazine, weren't you? Yeah, yeah, exactly. But when I did get that £100 uh, uh, you know, uh, certificate, I stopped going. And I put up five stone. It was, it was, a, it was a, just um, a horrible place to be. And um, I was still, you know, I was doing all the right things. But then when everything was going wrong... I'd stop, I'd feel sorry for myself, I'd be sitting on the pissy pot, feeling really sorry for myself. Yeah. And, um, you know, I eventually went back and I lost all the weight and I ended up getting in the ma- a magazine around um, 11 years ago. Yeah. And, uh, um, I ended up in the Weight Watchers magazine at the time. So that must and, have been uh, a proud moment. I was, and the one of the proudest people there was was my mother. She must have bought 100 copies. Oh, <laughs> bless her. Yeah. Uh, well, there was around ten. Oh, going a bit too far there, but um, yeah, it was uh, it was great to be able to do that. But know. Stephen, was it when you stopped going? Was it stopped when you ha- when when yeah, you stopped the I, group I support? Believe, yeah, I firmly believe if you have a problem with alcohol, drugs, or food, or any kind of addiction, and you stop going to the things to help you with it, you'll go back out there again. There's no doubt about it. And I firmly believe that. I went to Weight Watchers. Any time I stopped going, I put weight back on. And that was it, like, you know. So, and do you uh, put that down to the support of the people around you there? Absolutely, yeah, absolutely. It was a big thing for me. Um, you know, uh, the leaders I've had in Weight Watchers, Phil and Rita and uh, Geraldine at the moment, have been absolutely brilliant and been great support. And the people in the room as well, listening to them, gives me hope. And I have to keep coming and, st- and going to meetings, no matter how I am the way I am today. You know, I still go. Because I know I'm in the right place, you know, and it's very important for me. Yeah. So, you know. But when did you take up the running then? Because at, <laughs> at 21 stone, you wouldn't have been able to run far. Oh, so I was doing a lot of walking back then. And around four years ago, um, a lot of stuff was going on for me personally. And I needed to do something to keep my mind occupied. And I, I started running. And uh, I was living in Kerry at the time. And I joined a running club down there called Kerry Crusaders. And I was with them for a lot. I was with two running clubs down there, to be honest with you. Kerry Crusaders and Born to Run from Tralee. I'd always meet them for a run, either in Tralee or in the Stole. And the support I got off them was brilliant. I was doing a lot of 5Ks and 10Ks, and I was feeling good at that. But I never thought I could do a marathon. And uh, around a year ago, I got friendly with a good friend of mine from uh, Tralee. And she suggested to me, I'm going to say her name, Maz O'Shea. She's a lovely woman. She'll be listening to this later. And she has me big time with me running. And I'm very thankful for that, you know. Yeah. And um, when I uh, I got, I done my first marathon in September. Uh, it, was a, it was actually an ultra marathon as well, which is more than 26.2 miles. It was a six-hour endurance run in a park in the Stole. Uh, and it was all loops. 
and I clocked up nearly 30 miles. Well, uh, that's some that achievement. Time. It was unbelievable. It was an emotional achievement. It was just unbelievable. I've done the Tralee Marathon since, and I'm training for another ultra in Tralee at the end of July. It's a 40 miler event. And um, I'm with a new, uh, I've, since I came back to meet them with a, a, a great running club at NAV and AC, they've been absolutely brilliant and very supportive to me. And what, what stuck out for me was I, when I was doing the Tralee Marathon on Easter Saturday, on the Good Friday and on the Easter Saturday morning, the amount of texts I got from people from NAV and AC was unbelievable. You know, and it just proves to me if you're around Sound if you are if you are involved in exercise of any shape or form, where it's running, which is my favourite, you will be 100% around sound-minded people. That's what I think. Yeah, of course. And that's what's keep me going towards those journeys. And Stephen, when you when you said earlier that you suffered from anxiety as well, and you, and mm. then you drink to kill the pain of how you yeah. felt and how, what you saw in the mirror, and did the running help then with the anxiety as well? Oh, uh, big time. Yeah, you know, because when I done my first marathon, I couldn't believe I had done it. A year ago, I wouldn't have believed I'd been I would be able to do a marathon, and yeah. I did it. Which goes to show, if you try uh, do anything, and you want to do it, you can achieve it. Believe to achieve is my uh, motto, and it's a lot of people's mottos. Believe to achieve. That's a good one, yeah. That's a good one to keep in mind. You know, and there's things in life that are not for you. And if if you're stuck in them, you know, get away from them. You know, they're not good for you. If you're not happy, do what you want to do and be happy. And Stephen, did you you have to, well, you gave up the drink as well. So did you you have to walk away from certain friends then and make a whole new set of friends? I sort of, I did. Mm. um, I had a lot of friends as well. And, you know, I'm 12 years, over 12 years sober, so I am, and I'm delighted with that as well, and that's a big well thing for me. Yeah. Thank you, Joe. Well done. You know, it's, 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 it's just, it's, it's, for me, you know, it wasn't the amount of drink, it's how it made me feel, and it was making me feel worse and worse and worse. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, I wasn't every day drinking. I was a binge drinker, but the thing was, it made me feel depressed. Yeah, because of course. Because I didn't like what I seen in the mirror. Yeah. And now I have a I I have a life beyond my wildest dreams now, and I don't have the things like a sports car or or a you know what yeah. car or I'm not a millionaire. I'm happy because I just like I I love Stephen Dever now, the person he is today, not the person I was back then. Oh I my mean god! That in an arrogant way. Stephen, that's an amazing thing to say. You've just admitted that you actually love yourself. I mean, from a couple of years ago, crying, yeah. looking at yourself in the mirror. Absolutely. And, you know, now I like what I see and I like what I do now and I enjoy my life now. And Stephen, and can I can I ask you just because I have to wrap up in a second, but yeah. you're so inspirational and you, I'm sure this interview has been an inspiration for lots of people out there. But yeah. if I was to ask you one piece of advice for someone who wants to change their life now, who yeah. has a problem with weight or just lethargy or just can't seem to get off the sofa, what would you say to them? Just get yourself whatever it is it, if it's your pride don't let that get involved go out there buy yourself a pair of runners go and get a, a, a couch to 5k app on your phone or join a running club running most running clubs are very supportive you know and they'll help you out and you know be you'd be around so many people that's been in the same boat as you most of them everybody has a story hmm. like they do you know when they do when they do exercise it's for a reason to get away from the stuff that goes on in their heads, you know, for an hour or two hours. You know what I mean? There's nothing like and a good walk or, or when you get good, good enough, a good run. Absolutely, you know, and there's lots of things out there you can do.
Well, no, Stephen, do you know what? You're an absolute inspiration and I, I take my hat off to you. Joan, can I just say one thing? The sure. one person I want to thank sure. most of all, and it's my mother. I love her dearly. She's a great person. Aww. And only for her, she's been, she's been a great support to me. And uh, I, I, I admire her. She, you know, she stuck through me through a lot. In oh, the that's, years. that's lovely. I'm sure she's very proud of you as well, Stephen. Uh, well, you know, she's a great woman. And, Listen. you know, and that's how I feel on her. So, um, Thanks a million. Stephen, it's been a pleasure talking to you and continued success with your running. The best of luck in the marathon and the best of luck with the rest of your life. You sound like you have it on track. Thanks well, a million. One day at a time, Joe. Exactly. Time, Thanks, Stephen. Good luck. Bye, Take bye. care. And that's it from Late Lunch today. I'm afraid many thanks to all my guests and my producer, Louise. And of course, thanks to you for listening. Until tomorrow, have a good day. Take care. Bye-bye. The Late Lunch with Blackstone Motors. Get low as can be APR, zero deposit required and finance arranged within four hours with all 192 pre-ordered Renaults. What are you waiting for? There's never been a better time to visit Blackstone Motors, Dundalk, Drogheda or Cavan. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.